Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Hebert. How is Andrew Petcash leveraging his athletic experiences to disrupt the sports technology industry? College athletes often struggle to accept life after sport because a big part of their identity is lost. Finding purpose after college sports can be a huge challenge. However, athletes that apply their passions in a creative and entrepreneurial way go on to earn professional success. My guest on this episode, Andrew Petcash, is one of those athletes. Andrew is a former Division I basketball player for Boston University and now a sports technology innovator. Andrew is an entrepreneur seeking to disrupt the athletic recruiting process through a new platform called Athletes in Recruitment. AIR is a cross between a dating app and LinkedIn that helps high school student athletes find the perfect match with a college program. In episode 25, Andrew talks about his own recruiting journey and how he's using his experiences to build a technology-based recruiting solution for young athletes and their families. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Andrew Petcash. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Mike, what's up? Thanks for having me on, brother. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Uh, for everyone who's listening, uh, could you just take a little bit, uh, a little bit of uh, time, and, and let them know who who you are and what you do? For sure. Yeah, my name's Andrew Pekash. I graduated from Boston University here uh, last May, so only five six months ago. Played basketball there. Um, you know, I've always kind of built things on the side, some online businesses while in school. Then NIL hit, and I was like, dang, I missed out on the whole boat by six months. So just through social media, I built up pretty big Twitter following in recruiting, jumped into NIL, met, met, a, I'm still meeting a bunch of cool people. And we've developed this app air takes the concepts of LinkedIn and Tinder applies it to college recruiting. And then as NIL is moving downstream, you know, we're starting to see uh, some of that collaboration. And then uh, I started writing as well. Um, on the side, it's led to some pretty cool opportunities. I actually am going to have my a co-hosted show for 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. It's one. It's like one of the biggest radio stations um, at the start of the new year. So, um, yeah, I found kind of how we were talking about earlier before the show, the entrepreneur journey, putting yourself out there, no risk, no reward. And it's it's paid off. But, you know, there's ups and downs. It's been fun. Um, you know, it doesn't matter you're my age or yours, I mean, you just got to get started. So Absolutely. I know, I know we we're going to talk about that a little later of, you know, what's your word, but uh, I said, figured, you know, let's, let's get started right off with that. If you're listening to this, you're already doing the right thing. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, I mean, I love all of it and there's a lot to, to get into um, and we'll get into NIL stuff, but those, for those who aren't, who aren't familiar and are listening, what does NIL stand for? And could you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I should have I should have touched on that before, but NIL is name, image, likeness. So it's basically allows you to make money off your own name. Um, it applies to college athletes now, but it really applies to everyone. Um, you know, you can your name, image, likeness is who you are, your personal brand, and can you make money off of it? And a lot of that stems today from social media. Yep. I'm really curious about that. So we'll definitely get into that later. But I, I guess to take a step back, right, you said you, you're a basketball player at Boston University. So 
can you just kind of talk about your athletic background and how you got there? Yeah, I had a crazy, that's kind of how I got started in all this is I had a crazy story. Um, I, my junior year, I got a few division one offers. I was working hard. I knew what I wanted and I committed to army West point thinking, Oh, this is what I want to do. But I didn't really completely understand the whole military that you have to go serve for five years after threw me in a loop. I decommit, lose all my offers. Um, it's senior year, you know, I'm at graduation in June. Everyone knows where they're going to college. They've known for months and I'm just sitting there going, what am I doing? Um, thinking about going to prep school. And as soon as I do that, I start playing again because I can go down a grade and start playing in those tournaments. And Boston University comes and they say, hey, we want to offer you for next year after your prep school year. Um, I'm like, great, whatever. Then maybe a month goes by, 10 days before I'm supposed to go to prep school, seven days before Boston University starts school, the head coach calls me and goes, hey, we had some trouble. One of the guys isn't on the team anymore. Would you want to come this year? And I was like, heck yeah, like, let's do it. Um, and it turned out great. Um, and, and actually, funny enough, my first day on campus, just talk about adversity, I broke my wrist playing pickup. So I missed the whole off season, And somehow in the second half of the season, I still found a way to get some playing time. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a crazy journey. It was like, hey, you finally got here. And then you break your wrist on the first day. So that was that was pretty wild. Wow, that is pretty crazy. But uh, can you can you talk about the, I, I mean the army situation a bit more? I mean, obviously it's a. I'm always fascinated because I don't really understand how that works. You know, because the the admission process to the military academies is so unique when they're recruiting athletes. Like, what did that look like for you? And like, at what point were you like, whoa, I'm I'm not sure what I'm getting into. Yeah, I mean, it, they put on a great visits. Um, you know, they took me to a football game. They have all the traditions mm -hmm. and it's awesome. And they really bring you into the culture. The coaches are great. They're still great. Um, the same guys there that, that recruited me. Um, and actually they're in our conference. So we played him four times, sorry, two <laughs> times a year. And it was always, I wouldn't say it was awkward, but he, he kind of hated me because I decommitted actually on signing day from there. So I kind of screwed them just, just as, I mean, I screwed myself and screwed them a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of tradition. They do a lot of cool stuff, but they're not. I wouldn't say they're not. They're not the best team. It's hard to recruit there, mm -hmm. but they do kind of. I wouldn't say they cover up the military, but they don't make it an emphasis enough, in my opinion. So, like, I didn't really realize, like, yo, you're waking up at six every day. You're eating the same meals with everyone in the school. You're going. You're going to serve for five years after. There's no getting out of it. And at the time, I wanted to play pro basketball overseas after. So I was like, well, I can't do that if I have to go to the Army. So that actually got me out. And then funny enough, last year, I get to the same point. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to play pro basketball anymore. So the whole reason I didn't go there just completely changed in four years, which is which is pretty wild. But uh, yeah, no, I respect them. I have some mm -hmm. buddies that go there. And it's a it's an awesome place. I, uh, I would love to give back in some way possible at some point yeah. because uh, it still touched me a little in my life, even though I didn't go there. Cool. So did you, were, did you play other sports growing up through high school? Yeah, I was a big baseball player until ninth grade. And then my AAU coach, um, and, and sometimes I joke about this with my family, like, hey, like I'm a 6'4", not the most athletic kid in the world. I should have played baseball. I would have had a chance to go pro. Like basketball, like, I mean, you, you know how it is. It's, it's, um, it's a little tougher. Yep. Um, so we joke about that. That was my main sport. And then my AU coach came along and 
introduced me to like Curry and he was awesome and playing with some pro guys that were overseas mm-hmm. um, locally. And uh, I also played tennis in high school. And then, yeah, I mean, I just kind of fell in love with basketball mm-hmm. and uh, was like, hey, let's do it. It's really hard to get there. And I wanted the the biggest challenge, which yeah. I, I still think it's the hardest. The most You have to be the most athletic to play basketball. And I still think, and obviously this is my opinion, you get everyone to fight you on this, but I think it's the hardest sport um, to be good at. So tell me, tell me more about that. I'm, I'm curious about that now. So what do you think distinguishes basketball? What makes it the hardest? Yeah. I mean, it's skill plus athleticism and Mm -hmm. plus size and strength. Um, Football. I mean, there's, there's tons of examples. Like football players will say, Oh, it's the most athletic. Yeah. It's the most athletic strength, size, whatever. But you don't see, you know, a basketball player. I'm sorry. You don't see a football player that could go play in the NBA. LeBron James could go play in the NFL instantly. Um, and that's a lot of my gauge as well. Mm. And you can teach a basketball player to play any sport and be decent. Um, you know, you see Michael Jordan goes and plays professional baseball. Now, I mean, was he the best player ever? No, but he could do it. Um, and I mean, there's tons of good athletes. It's hard to say, especially when you get to that elite level. But even like Steph Curry is a really good golfer. No, yep. no golfer could ever go play professional basketball. So that's kind of my gauge. I mean, ton of variables there. But uh, yeah, I, I think the one, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I, I certainly think there's an argument for it. I think the thing for me that makes basketball so challenging is the decision making aspect, because you're moving so fast, the game moves so quickly, especially in the shot clock model, right? Where you have to make choices constantly and you have to do it within a split second. And I think a lot of sports don't have that. I mean, unless you're a quarterback, right. in football, maybe a soccer player, but the game moves much more slowly hockey, perhaps you're on skates. Right. But the decision-making is what is hard for me. Like I, that, and I'm really interested in that as a, as a sports psychology professional is like, how does the, how do the greatest athletes make decisions? Like, what do they see? How do they anticipate? Like, what, what is the process their brain goes through? And I think for me, you, when you couple that with the jumping, the running, the physicality, all that, that makes basketball a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. It's just a combination of so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I mean, what do you think is the hardest sport? Like if you had to kind of pick, what, what would you go? Would ah, you that's a great towards? question. Um, I mean, you know, it's hard because I, I'm exposed to all of them and they all have their own unique elements. I, to be honest with you, you sort of like in, in saying that, like I, I could certainly make the argument for basketball because of all the things, especially as you move up yeah. in level, right? I think if you're, you know, in high school, Right. It might be different than if you're playing in college where like, you know, you might go from being the best player on your team in high school because you're just a, a dead on shooter. And then you step up to college, especially at the division one level and guys can shoot, but they also can jump out of the gym. Right. right? Yeah. Like they're they're strong and they're right. Like they're quick. And like then you're sort of like running up against these guys who are just freakish. Right. In a lot of ways. And I think that that. I think that could be the argument. I think quarterback is probably the hardest position to play in all of sports. I, yep. I, I wouldn't kind of, it's hard to deviate from, it's hard to deviate from that, but I, I love it. I love the conversation because there are so many variables that go into being great at any sport and it's not just the physical stuff. Yeah. Now what do like, you obviously work with a bunch of athletes. Um, I'm sure basketball players, 
I mean, what are what are some things they kind of, you know, say are difficult or they have a they have a tough time mentally, you know, getting around to? Because for me, the thing was always being like aggressive and mentally like I could go score 20 points in a game, especially in high school. But then it was like you play a game the next night and it's like, how do you like replicate that consistently? Because you play a lot of games in basketball. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious, like what other, you know, mental stuff or psychology stuff that you've found? The things I, I've seen, because I have worked with basketball players, I think the biggest challenge relates to dealing with failure, right? Mm-hmm. So if a player makes a bad, doesn't make a play, right? They make a mistake, say they miss a shot and they tell themselves, I should have made that shot. It stays with them and they can't shake it. And they can't, they can't see that the decision, right? Like I'll go back to this. They can't see it was a good decision, right? They made a good choice. They took an open shot. They just missed it, but they're beating themselves up for missing the shot. And the truth of the matter is, is you're going to miss five or six shots out of 10 anyway, but you made a good choice. So rather than just saying, Hey, I made a good choice. I'm going to pull it again. The next time I have it, they start to think like, Oh, I should have made that. They get into their own head and they lose trips up and down the court because they're so focused on the mistake that they made three, four, five plays ago. And that's something I've actually worked on with basketball players. Like, Hey, all right, let it go. How do we let it go and move on to the next play? Because otherwise you're just, you're distracted and you can't be at your Mm -hmm. best. And then you're going to get beat on the defensive end because you're, you're caught up in your own head and some guy's going to go right past you. Right. So I think that's probably the biggest thing with basketball and it it applies to other sports, Oh yeah, Um, but, but basketball, because you're also five guys, five guys away from the ball, like you can get like caught caught up into a fog if you're not on ball. And so it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, no. Yeah. You made a bunch of great points there. Um, so actually another thing, Sam trying to stay busy, but my dad's the high school basketball coach at, um, where I'm from now. And Mm -hmm. so I'm helping him coach this year a little bit on the side. And, you know, we have, we have some kids that are really good shooters, but it's the same kind of thing. Like they miss a shot. And I was never this way. So it's, this is, wasn't a problem for me, luckily, mm-hmm. because my dad, when I was young, would always just say, it's the next shot. Go one for one, go one for one, go one for one. So when I missed, it was never a problem. Um, but I also wasn't like a huge volume shooter. I was like, I always prided myself on being an efficient player. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's go score 20 points, but let's do it in 10 shots. Or there's other guys, they would go score 20, but it did take 30. And I'm like, did you really help your team? So I would, so in a way, yeah, I mean, I didn't like missing shots, but I prided myself on like, Hey, like, let's be efficient. Um, right. But that, that, but that also goes back to the decision-making piece of it, right? You are maybe without using those terms, you are making a conscious decision to make good choices, right? If I'm open, I'm going to take it. The situation lends itself. I'm going to take it, but I'm not going to just shoot to shoot. Right. And yep. I think that that's part of the decision-making part of being a smart player, but also understanding risk and reward. Like, why am I going to take this shot now? If there's a better look, right? There's one more pass to be made. Yeah, I can make this, but is it better for me to look off and get it to the next guy to move the ball? And that's also something that I I love to watch as a as a as a fan and a coach is that one extra pass, knowing that okay, I got a good open look, but if I make one more pass, is that a better option? And the guys who make that extra pass just like are really are the the best players because they're creating yeah. movement in the defense that you know you can't. You can't get by standing still. Yeah, I mean a pass a pass will always be to the dribble up the floor. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I mean I love 
that's why when the Warriors, a lot of people gave them a lot of crap, but they were the most fun team maybe of all time to watch because they played really hard. They weren't the tallest. They weren't the quickest. They weren't the fastest. They played the right way, and and that was always fun watching them. Yeah, so I I, I coached – I worked with a coach who – on a basketball team who uh, played basketball in college – one of the smartest basketball guys and more smart guy in general, but one of the Mm -hmm. smartest guys I've ever met basketball wise. And he was on my podcast and he always would say, Mm -hmm. throw ahead, throw ahead, throw ahead. He would just hit them over the head in practice, like throw the ball up the court. Like you got it, move it with the pass and don't dribble. And you know, I was not, I played basketball, but I wasn't very Mm -hmm. good, but I was never coached that way. And I started to see like, that's just so important, right? You can beat the other team up the floor with that, that throw ahead and that speaks to habits, right? Like basketball players, their their in first instinct is usually what? Boom, 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 boom. Yep. Put the ball down on the yep. on the deck and dribble. And you've got to drill that. And you've got to drill that routine into the player's head of like, hey, we're going to practice this every day. Throw ahead, throw ahead, throw ahead. Here's why we're going to do it. Yep. If you keep doing it, you're going to see the results. And that's a big part of the mental game in any sport is, hey, just get focused on the process of doing this, understand why you're doing it. And ultimately it's just going to become second nature and you're going to make better decisions rather than just, okay, I'm going to go default back to putting the ball on the deck and sticking my head down and driving through traffic. Yeah, no, that actually kind of a funny story based on that. So last night we were playing a game. We were playing a really bad team. It's just a fall league scrimmage game. Um, and I'm talking about my high school team here yep. that I'm helping coach. But uh, so we're beating them by like, it's like 50 to 15 in the fourth. My um, dad's the coach, me and the other assistant, Donnie, were like, hey, no more pass or no more dribbling. Like we have to pass all the way up the court. And we t- tried it out. And then us coaches at the end were like, yo, you might have to do this in real games. Like we were so yeah. much more productive. And you just see times when guys take dribbles when they didn't need them. Um, yeah, I know. I know we got a little sidetracked here. Nah, but, that's uh, that's awesome. I love getting into, I, I the, love it. into the basketball world a little bit since I've been since I haven't played in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coaching is coaching is also infectious, right? Being on the bench, being with the guys, helping them get better. Like I, I loved being part of a coaching staff where I would sit on the bench and see the guys every day, watch them in practice, get to talk to them, get to know them. And that's different than what I'm doing now, which is I do a lot of individual work. And there's definitely something to be said for being a mental coach in a team environment because you get to see every single day and build those relationships, which is really critical to being able to help athletes is to really get to know them and build that trust so that you can then really suggest changes that they're going to make because they trust that you're trying to do the right thing. So, yeah, I mean, what you do is super important. Um, Sorry to cut you off a little bit there, but you're good. I mean, at Boston, U, we had like people like yourself within our programs. I mean, there's immense value in that. Um, And a lot of people at lower levels or just younger, not familiar, like they don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I got to to the pros, I would 100% hired my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's been something back to Army when I went there. They had like three people. And they really took it seriously. But you're yes. also throwing in military. I mean, you yes. have a lot more to handle mentally. Their schools works harder. Um, yeah. I mean. Yeah. The military has a very, very strong infrastructure. In fact, the United States military, not the academy, but the military mm-hmm. is the largest um, employer of sports psychology professionals in the United States. Because wow. they, they have a 
they have a very regimented and wide-reaching resilience, mental resilience training program. And so they hire a lot of sports psychology grads to come in and do those trainings for the, for the, you know, for the soldiers, um, you know, for the active duty, uh, you know, military. And so it's, the academies are the same. And I, I, I love that. And I love to hear that schools have it. Now, it, it's interesting because there's so many colleges out there who have a huge investment, more so than the military academy, more so than Boston University, these big mm-hmm. universities, and they don't even make the investments in it. They have one person for a whole, you know, 500 person, you know, athletic department and they're making, they're generating tens of millions of dollars every year. So it's interesting philosophically to see like some schools really buy into it and some schools are just like, ah, we don't need that. They're more into the physical performance side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's something people don't understand even about college. Um, I mean, D1 and there's stats and whatever, but if you're under six, four, it's like a 0.001% chance to play college basketball at Division One level. So I always pride myself, like, that's kind of getting back to earlier, like, yo, this is one of the hardest things to do. And I was yeah. like, I want to do it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, what comes along with that, I mean, you're you're a full-time employee. That's why I love seeing the NIL and guys mm-hmm. having opportunities to get paid. But, I mean, it wasn't just like, hey, we went to school, we had practice, we had games, you know, we could go party. It was like, no, you're going to wake up on Sunday morning you're going to go to community service and you're going to go work a walk. And then at 10, you're going to have yoga and you're going to get your body right. And then at 12, you're going to work with the sports psych guy. Um, and then you're going to go to study hall and you're, I mean, it was very regimented. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like funny. Cause I, I, we always laugh about this because I was, I was like, yeah, I didn't go to the army. And I, and I was like, I think my schedule was just as regimented, if not more yep. at BU being, you know, D1 athlete. And uh, I mean, we had a good team too. My junior year, we won. This, this is a story that uh, people always ask me about. My junior year, we went, we won our conference. Um, so we won the Patriot League. Mm-hmm. Going to the NCAA tournament, probably going to be a 15 seed, 14. Play someone pretty good, but, you know, you never know. There's upsets every year. And, uh, yeah, COVID happened. So my it was my last. So before I wanted to go pro, my last basketball goal was make the NCAA March mm-hmm. Madness tournament. Did it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone knows kind of kind of where we've been stuck the last couple of years. Yeah. Very challenging for all college athletes, but certainly like, you know, having reached that goal and not actually getting the chance to play. But I, I did want to ask you about a little bit more about your transition mm-hmm. into college, right? Obviously your recruiting story is, is uh, unique. Um, when you get to BU, uh, obviously said you got hurt, which obviously throws a wrench into it, but mm-hmm. like, can you h- talk about the transition? Like what that was like going from high school to college with that, regimented schedule and all these sort of new challenges that maybe you didn't have before? Yeah. I mean, they just throw, I mean, you're just throwing it in the fire. That's the crazy thing. And they've gotten better there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they started recruiting differently. They started recruiting a little bit, you know, good basketball players, but better kids and better students. So it's gotten better there. And I, I think my class actually kind of led that mm-hmm. um, transition there. But uh, I mean, you're thrown in from day one. I mean, it's you're not used to waking up early to go lift at six in the morning. Um, and then you're not used to going and taking hard classes um, in the morning and then the afternoon and then mm-hmm. go to study hall. And then you're like, Oh, I have all this freedom. I want to go party. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting transition that people don't, don't account for. Um, because my brother, so my, youngest brother he's at miami of ohio he just went to school for regular 
COVID kind of messed up his basketball career, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of recruiting and stuff. But my middle brother's at Binghamton, which is also D1 in New York, mm-hmm. playing there. And we just always kind of talk about how my youngest brother's like, yo, I have so much time, I don't know what to do. But me and my other brother are like, time? Like, we, we never had time for anything. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I first got home and, and everything happened, I was like, this is like, I need to go build stuff and do stuff because I have so much time. <laughs> so that transition, it sucked at first, especially my freshman year when right. I got hurt, which added in rehab and even more stuff. Yeah. But then now I'm like so grateful for it because when I wake up at six in the morning, I'm like, hey, I'm waking up at six in the morning to go write an article instead mm-hmm. of waking up and lifting and getting screamed at and yelled at. <laughs> and then instead of going to practice, you know, I'm just going to play basketball for fun and then I'm building something that's cool. So yeah. to me, it's it's been a the transition like the pain of it has helped now. Um, and I think as in, in, you know, trying to be an owner of companies and stuff, mm-hmm. I would hire a college athlete over a regular employee any, or a regular student any day of the week. I think that that sentiment's pretty consistent, at least anecdotally. I think employers love college athletes for a lot of reasons, but it is the structure. and It is the discipline that comes with being a college athlete that really – is attractive to employers, Mm -hmm. especially now, right? Like if you're a non-athlete in college, like there's just so many other things you could sort of get into and there is a lot of free time. And I feel like with social media, people, people are just even more, and listen, I love social media. It's a huge, valuable, um, tool for my my business. I got shut down yesterday and the world was like going crazy. Yes. And it's funny you say that because people were like talking about that and like, oh, it was a good thing because I can't get to Facebook. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like I need to send a post <laughs> that I was going to send for my, you know, right? So like yeah. there's there's good and bad in it. But like I feel like if you're 18, 19 years old and you're in college, like it just becomes so central to your social life. And, you know, when you get out, what do you do, right? You have to get up and go to college, uh, to go to work at like you know, mm-hmm. seven o'clock in the morning and you're at work, you got to be productive. Like you can't be on your phone all day. You have to work and you, you know, you might have to work late or you might have to work on a weekend and you're doing that already. So it just gives a huge advantage to the, to the athlete at that point to say like, I've already done this. Like I know how to make it work. So it's, so, it's a huge advantage for employers. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent with that. Um, yeah. I mean, our whole team at air, I mean, we're all former, um, besides our developers in India that are kind of doing the app yeah. and the tech stuff, our you know business management side is all former Division One college athletes, which is yep. you don't see, and it's pretty cool. Um, and no, we're right. all we're all pretty young, which we think is our our advantage, not our disadvantage, um, especially in this world that. of NIO and college recruiting, um, just changing. But yeah. but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing you don't see very much. You met. You mentioned that there was a point during college, at some point, where you sort of said, "I, I don't want to play professional basketball." Mm-hmm. Like, what? What was that? At what point was that? And like, when you sort of decided that in your own mind, like, did you kind of shift to entrepreneurship as sort of the next next step for you once you get out of school? Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been building stuff or finding ways to, mm-hmm. you know, do stuff on the side, make money. I've always enjoyed that building and process. But uh, it was definitely when COVID hit, I was like, you know, gotcha. this is too crazy. And I realized like, you know, the ball is going to stop bouncing eventually. Um, so whether that's 10 years or, or two months, I was like, I'd rather be the be the former. Um, 
And I also saw some of the guys that went overseas from our team before. And the money is not mm-hmm. great. I'm not saying that's everything. I mean, you get to live right. in another country. Mm-hmm. But you're also living in another country. So, yeah, you know your teammates. But you don't know anyone else. You're kind of isolated where mm-hmm. you practice, play, and then you're back in your room. And you don't, like, you don't live a ton of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess, yeah, I've kind of from seeing other guys. And, and some of them are having an awesome time and that's, that's their goal and that's what they want to do. And I respect that. And, um, but for me, it was more like, Hey, I want to be here in the States and I want to build something that's going to help a ton, a ton of people. And I want to do ultimately, um, what I want to do, which basketball, not going to the NBA. I realized that. So I was like, uh, yeah, let's, yeah. you know. One of my prior guests, he, he's a bit older than you. I would say he's probably about 10 years older than you are, but mm-hmm. he tells a story on the podcast and he's very, been very open about this. He was a football player at, at Central Michigan and he was forced to retire due to back injuries. And he went through a really hard time after that because in his mind, like the only outcome was professional football, but it wasn't until he found something bigger, right? To look forward mm-hmm. to where he could really kind of shift his thinking and, and become, you know, happy again and really not be in a bad place. And like, that's sort of what you're describing, right? Like you're looking forward to something bigger, like the next chapter of your Mm -hmm. life is like, Hey, let me build a business or businesses that like gets me out of bed every day. Right. Because for a lot of athletes, the only thing that got them out of bed for so long was I'm going to get to go play. And then they're like, I have to go do a job or I have to go just do this or what am I going to do when it's over? Like, it doesn't sound like that. That's something you're, you're dealing with as much. No, not, not now, but I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like there was a few months where I was like in the dumps, like, yo, what am I doing? I, I haven't touched a basketball. That's never happened in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not an athlete anymore. You know, who am I? Um, and obviously everything that's been going on played into that a little. And then, um, I met James who basically founded air and we, we got it rolling in the team and, um, started doing some of this other stuff that all ties back. We, we basically say air is the central, but we all, our whole team kind of does a few other things on the side to tie it all back to the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of, kind of what we call it. Um, I don't know. Some people call it networking, whatever. It's the same sort of deal. We're just trying to tie it all back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, that's, I would say most athletes will go through that. They're going to go yeah. through a few months where they're like, who am I? What am I doing? And for me, it was nice because I did have my parents' support where they let me come home and I didn't have to worry about paying a bill or something. But then it was like, okay, buddy, you know, let's go. Let's build something. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's been yeah. it's been fun and, and there's no looking back. Yeah. Um, and, and I get to, honestly, the best part is I get to meet people like yourself and, uh, you know, talk to a bunch of cool people throughout it where, to me, that's always what I wanted to do. I always like building things. And I like t- talking to cool people, meeting cool people. And uh, so that's why every day I wake up now and some of my friends are 24 and they went to they went to college and hey, it was the best time of my life. Hey, college was great for me too. But what I'm doing now, I still have fun. And to, to me, um, it's like they kind of went past their best days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never want that to be me, um, whether I'm 60 or 20 or 30. So that's kind of my mindset on all that. Well, I, I, I relate to that on many, many levels, right? So... I agree with that. Like for me, I'm building something every day and I love to meet good people. That's why, that's why I got into this podcast. Like mm-hmm. I'd like to talk to people, uh, interesting people about cool stuff. That's, you know, 
related to my business. But at the same time, I could tell you like as a, as an adult, as a parent, like that, that, um, regret or that sort of, uh, um, what's the right word I'm looking for the reminiscing about the glory days still happens for people my age who either are living vicariously through their children's sports or they talk about like, Oh, back in high school, like, Hey, listen, I love a good old high school story with my buddies. Right. But like at the same time, like if that's what I'm talking about now, like I'm not, I'm not as interested in it. Right. I'm thinking about like, what's tomorrow going to bring? Like, what am I doing today to like build my future? Cause you know, that's, what's important. And it doesn't, it doesn't end. And I think that for a lot of people, they don't, they don't necessarily see the th- the things the way you do, which is to say mm-hmm. like, Hey, like I've got this huge opportunity in front of me. I'm going to take a little bit of risk, but I'm getting to build something that's my own versus mm-hmm. like, Hey, like I kind of been there, done that. Like I'm just paying the bills now, which listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I know yeah. a lot of people in my life who have a job and, and they like to to have their life the way they, they have it. Certainly like I don't live a glamorous life doing what I'm doing because, you know, it, it, it's hard, right? Like it's hard, yeah. you know, where's the, where's the next dollar coming from and, and all those things. But at the same time, it's like, if I really believe in what I'm doing, which is, you know, clearly what, you know, you're, where you're at, you mm-hmm. believe in what you're doing, then it just, it makes it worth it. At least that's, that's my view. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a hundred percent worth it. <laughs> my my thing has always, and I, I wrote about this today, um, that I've released. So I have athletes, coaches, parents. I kind of read what I what I write and put out. So I try to relate a little. Mm-hmm. But the thing was like, okay, you got to define a goal. So your goal is whatever, but you got to be really specific. So I'll use basketball's example because yep. that's what we're talking about here. But my goal was always it wasn't just to be a college basketball player. It was I wanted to play dig- Division One, and I wanted to go to a high academic school. And I also preferred an urban campus. And I got that. I mean, I didn't get it till seven days before it's almost <laughs> slipped away. And there's a bunch of stuff that happened. But I knew that and it set yeah. a direction. Then the second part was you have to work for it. I, I worked out every day in basketball. Um, that doesn't say I was, you know, going and running and doing crazy stuff. I mean, if it was an off day, I would shoot for 15 minutes and dribble. Like I was always doing yeah. something. So I was always working, moving, compounding, getting 1%. And then the third is there's always, to me, a struggle. So there's going to be something where the universe is like, no, 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 no. Do you really want this? So that was, you know, me getting hurt, me, you know, not decommitting, schools taking away my offers, all that. And then uh, the fourth. So then to me, it's going to happen after that point if you can get through all those. And then the fourth to me is you got to enjoy it Um, and you got to kind of let it go. You can't. You know what you want. It's going to come. I always kind of have that feeling like it's going to come, but you got to like, you got, and it's hard. Like I struggle with this too. Like I, I sit mm-hmm. here and talk about this stuff, but we all struggle through this. It's not sure. easy. I mean, you know, you, you deal with this and what people talk about all the time. Um, but I found like when I let it go and I don't constantly like absorb in it. So I wasn't constantly, oh, I got to go do one. I got to go and just kind of let it. And I'm doing the work. I'm believing and I have that goal. It will come. And I, took that from basketball and I did a lot of this without knowing any of the the science without reading yes. books. And then I started doing that and I go, Holy crap, I did it not knowing. Uh-huh. Okay. Now let me go do it knowing. And it's kind of worked in the same direction um, in the business. And that was something it, if there's it, anyone like listening to that is like set a clear goal, work every day towards it. Um, go get through the struggle in the down period and have fun. Just enjoy the process and it'll come because then, you're going to look back and I look back and go, Oh, that was fun getting there, but it wasn't getting D one. That was fun. It was like 
building myself and getting better. And I'm trying to do the same thing now. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, yeah. So, so it's, it, it, it's, it's so fascinating on so many levels because there is the mental performance coaching work that I do is part, like I deal with that all the time with, especially with high school athletes who are the, the recruiting and commitments and scholarship mm-hmm. offers are like the biggest thing. Right. So to your point, one, they don't know the criteria for the schools they want to be at, right? They don't think about it and say like, this is what's really important to me. They just say like, Hey, I want to take the first offer or like, I just want to be wanted, right? There's that. Then when they don't get that result that they want, they get really demotivated and they get in some cases get like, I wouldn't say, you know, they get, they, they experience some depression around it because they're trying so hard, but they're not getting the result, which means they're not really enjoying the process of being an athlete and making themselves better. And it's like this, it's, it's all about motivation, right? What you just described is like, you set goals to motivate yourself. You do the work every day, right? You get, you get comfortable with the process and you try to enjoy it so that it's sustainable because mm-hmm. otherwise, if you're just getting feedback based on the result, you're going to burn out. Right. Yep. And so it's the same for me personally in my business, right? There are some days like, and I'm sure you have, have this experience. I know I do where I'm, I'm working all the time. I could work for a week and not get a phone call and not get an email. And I go, well, what, what am I doing here? Right. But I, then I have to remind myself like, Hey, you're doing this cause you love it every day. It's an investment and the, you're going to get a return. It's just a long-term play. And yep. so like, but we all need that feedback. Right. And so that's the, that's the struggle, right? How do we create the conditions for us to get that feedback, right? So I'll do something else. I'll do something new. I'll change something I'm doing. And I think a lot of young people struggle with that, right? It sounds like you're the exception, but I think for a lot of young people, they don't really, are not really comfortable with the idea of like, what can I do differently today? Because they don't want to be uncomfortable or they're not used to failing and they don't want to put themselves in that position. So they just don't do anything. But then they get frustrated like, hey, why isn't this changing? And I'll be like, well, why isn't it changing? I don't know. I'm not really doing anything different. Yeah, no kidding. Right. Like, so like it all goes sort of goes back to what I do. It's not and, and a lot of in a lot of ways, it's not rocket science what I do. But I love to be able to be the facilitator for these young athletes to make them think about what's really important. You know, what's really important to you? I, I actually, it's funny. I have a client who is very similar to your situation plays a different sport, but like he had a couple of, he had real strong interest from a couple of um, NESCAC schools, like division right. three, but high academic. Yeah, yeah. Good schools. Good, great schools, right? It's like Williams and, College, Amherst. And, yeah. Exactly. So those are basically the two schools. And academically, it turns out that he was sort of like on the fringe and things didn't work out for him. And now he's sort of had to reevaluate. Like, I don't know where, I didn't know where he really wanted to go. Now he's looking at prep school, right? And so mm-hmm. it, it, it turns out that that could really be a blessing for him in the sense that maybe prep school is the way he needed to go to get that extra year, to kind of get more seasoning, to rethink things, put himself in a better position. But like you said, like you were ready to do that. And then all, all of a sudden you got the result that you wanted, but you weren't expecting it. You were just sort of focused on, mm-hmm. okay, what can I control? I think it's just the stories are so great for young athletes to understand that it doesn't have to be the same formula, right? I get offered as soon as possible. And then I go off and play division one and everything's going to be perfect. It's like, that's just not the way the world works. Yeah. No, I mean, well said. I, yeah. I mean, you summed <laughs> I wanna, it up. I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> no, I love it. You, you summed it up perfectly. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, but I mean, a lot of that, I, I would credit this. I mean, 
obviously my parents did a great job and instilled good stuff in me. I mean, I think that's huge. And a lot of kids don't have that. Um, and so that's where someone like yourself is very influential. And I've, I've tried, I mean, we built a platform, so not as much like a service. Mm-hmm. I mean, we want it that way for kids with air I'm, I'm talking about, but the biggest thing for me was just reading books. Um, and I will promote that to the day mm-hmm. I die is that like you, you get the experience without the mistakes. Like you see what works for other people, what hasn't. Um, so I, I don't know if you ever read Atomic Habits by James Clear, but I mean, that's one where I'm like, holy crap, this guy went through five years to find the best habits and how to change habits. So you read that book and now I know how to create good habits just from him instead of going through it myself. And now I'm, you know, 35 and I learned myself when I can just read for, I read one chapter a night for seven days and I read that and now I have good, better habits as long as you, you know, put it to work. Um, so I've always said reading's huge and that's changed. And I'll always recommend that to, to kids. I love it. It's good advice. A lot of, a lot of kids don't love to read. I will say this though, for, I'm an early adopter of James Clare. I, I would read his blog and I've never read the book. It's on my shelf, but I used to read his blogs and I was always fascinated by the way he thought about things because it's so commonsensical and so simple, but it's right on point. Right. So I was at um, a baseball camp this summer. Um, the high school I worked at mm-hmm. for a bit, the coach invited me to come down and I did like a little 15 minute talk for some of the kids, like just kind of in a break period about the mental side of baseball. And I started talking to the kid and he's like, uh, one of these kids said, oh yeah, I, I, I'm reading this book. My trainer recommended. I'm like, oh, what is it? He's like Atomic Habits. The kid was like 14 years old. And I was like, dude, you are on your way to mm-hmm. like, you're on your way, right? Because for a yep. 14, 15 year old kid to read a book like that and go like, hey, I just need to know how to build good habits and I'm going to put the work in to do that. Like it translates into every area of your life. And it's like, you know, you can learn it at 35 or 40 or whatever. The sooner the better though, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just implementing those little things. Um, And it compounds. I really like, so the compound effect, I don't know if you ever read that book, but that's the book that like ignited me into good habits. And then you read Atomic Habits and now you get, you like, it just compounds on compounds and, um, so I love that kind of stuff. I can always get real and deep and yeah. in depth into that kind of stuff because that's like success and like what makes people, you know, why is one person, you know, why can one person, you know, go and play division one basketball and one can or why can one do this? And and it's yeah, I mean, that stuff always fascinates me. OK, so, so probably probably a good uh, transition point to talk about air athletes mm-hmm. in recruitment, correct? Correct. Okay. Can you tell us about what, what the company is all about, what the business is and how it works? Yeah, for sure. So we, so James is the original founder and then he brought me in like pretty soon after his idea stemmed. And so there's like me and two other guys on the founding team. And our whole basis is that recruiting is flawed and it's all like service based. And they go, they, you know, they try to get colleges to pay and or kids to pay. Mm-hmm. And we were like, wait, okay, there's all these social media platforms that kids use all the time. Mm-hmm. And dating is the same psychology as recruiting. You know, there's mm-hmm. two sides and they both need the tango. And there's a third party, which is like the parent, the high school coach that intermediates it. Let's bring them all together in one place, give them all the social tools and give it to them for free. And, you know, on a, on a business model side, obviously we need to make money. You know, mm-hmm. we just run advertisements. If the product's free, you are the product kind of model. I'm sure you've heard that before. It's like a Twitter or Um, Instagram, whatever. Um, 
and give everyone the tools. So the liaison, which say it's a private trainer, or I'm sorry, recruiting service, private trainer, even someone like yourself, you yeah. can help the athlete get recruited by facilitating, facilitating connection. But you can also build your own business because it's all the athletes in one place. The college coach. So we like to say, and right now we're just in football, but we'll be in all 34 sports, men's and women's here in the next 12 months. But we like to say there's two types of coaches, the one that's fired and the one that's going to be fired. So it enables them the chance to network and build their resume as well. On top of that, recruit, find their ideal player because the player plugs in, hey, you know, I'm 6'4", I'm a 200-pound quarterback from Alaska. And the coach goes, hey, I'm looking for guys over 6'2 that are quarterbacks from Alaska. And they can see all those players and quickly because of the Tinder model, you know, in 30 seconds, they can tell athletically, is this kid good enough or not? swipe left or right or click in and see everything about the kid. Um, so we're like, hey, let's do this for free. Let's get to everyone. Um, we've created some real rumble in some of the space because there's been no real, um, you know, advancements. And these companies have just been raking in money from from both sides, coaches and athletes. Mm-hmm. And we're like, hey, let's disrupt this. Let's uh, help everyone, like everyone in the process and give it to them for free. And, uh, so we're, we're four, yeah, we're a little over four months in 50,000 plus users, 250 coaches, um, whole bunch of liaisons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the goal now is to get to every sport and start raising our, our series a here in a, in a couple months. And we're going to try to get one of our models is get pro athletes, like top pro athletes with big followings big name, image, and likenesses, get them to invest. So now it's like, hey, you know, Jenny Finch softball, I promote this, or, you know, Bryson DeChambeau golf, like people like that, LeBron, Kate. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it's a journey and we're looking forward to it. So just a a day at a time. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. But, but, But what you described actually, sort of the way you described it hit me, right? It's a everything's a relationship business, mm-hmm. right? And so like the, 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 the point you made about coaches that are fired and the ones that are going to be fired is a perfect, is a perfect metaphor, right? For what it is to say like, Hey, if I'm a coach and I'm thinking about this the right way, like maybe I got fired and I'm going to go get another job, but that kid, is, I still have a relationship with that player. I want them to come with me, right? So it's not so much the school, and you hear this a lot, right? Recruiting isn't necessarily about the destination. It's about the person who recruited you, right? Mm-hmm. So when a coach gets fired, what happens? Kids transfer, right? Because they trusted the yep. coach. And so having these relationships and starting to build them in this way, in this sort of platform is really is really intriguing. Um, what What's the functionality of the platform? Meaning like what can a player or a coach or a parent, what do they, the school, what can they populate in there? Like what kind of data do they put in there? Yeah. I mean, they can put everything. I mean, we want as much visibility as possible. Um, so traditionally, you know, you upload your film and maybe mm-hmm. you're, you just write your GPA, but no one really knows like, Hey, you put in, you run a four or five and you lift 250 pounds, but no one really knows. So mm-hmm. we've also added in, like, you can put a video, you can put a picture right. to like prove it as well. Um, I mean, we really think it's like that all in one. We've given the athlete, the coach and the parent um, and anyone else involved every tool they need to to, you know, get through the recruiting process. And as NIL comes, it's only advancing because now kids, I mean, because we developed it's a platform, not a service, you know, say in two years, NIL is legal completely in high school. Sure. We can 
add in functionality for kids to upload their store or upload their brand or their podcast to it. So we're just trying to like centralize it, but it's around like the athlete and recruiting, you know, plays into it, but it's really build your athletic profile. Right. It's, yeah. Right. That's, that's so cool. I, I'm so enamored by technology just in general, in terms of the things that we can do and that are possible. Um, talk about, I, and one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to have you on here is because I know mm-hmm. NIL is something that you're really into, right? Name, image, and likeness for mm-hmm. college athletes, which has been pretty a pretty big news, but that, like you made reference, it's also seeping downhill into high school. Can you just talk about what that looks like now? Yeah, for sure. So um, right now it's like a $500 million market. It's going to be a couple bill here in a, in a few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously it's always been fine in the pros. Comes down to college now. Hey, you can make money off your name, image, and likeness. There's actually a lot more um, – there's been less compliance than was initially thought like schools, Mm -hmm. brands, they've been able to do more than they thought was initially possible. And already now it's like, so New Jersey will be live and here in January 22 and then California is already live. So if you're a California high school athlete, you can already, I mean, Mikey Williams, the basketball player, he's already signed like a million dollar deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And okay. Yeah. This is the top 1%, not even, even top 100 kids and maybe just basketball and football and then a few other, but it's like, it gives you the chance. I mean, in my hometown, everyone knew who I was. If I ran a camp, I would be able to make money off of it. And I'm saying when I was in high school or college when before you couldn't do that. So that's huge. So now you're promoting, like giving back to the community, helping develop. And yeah, you're getting money, but you're also building good habits and you're also learning, Hey, okay, I'm a, I'm going to be a college athlete. Let's learn how to, start a podcast or let's mm-hmm. learn how to, you know, run an e-commerce store. Okay. Well, if one or the other doesn't work out and I'm talking about if being a college athlete doesn't work out, you learned those skills that it takes to build something. And that's better for society because now we have more entrepreneurs and builders and innovators. Mm-hmm. But then if that side doesn't work out, okay, you still learn and you're a college athlete. Hopefully you got a scholarship and there's still going to be other NIL opportunities and uh, so I just see it as a huge benefit and it's yeah. long overdue. Um, I, I hope I answered your question there. I, I kind of went did. in a few directions. Yeah. I appreciate the examples help, right? Like the Mikey Williams example, right? That if you're a high school player, that's a top level recruit and you have a following, then there's an opportunity. There's a market opportunity for that person to take advantage of their image and likeness at the same time, right? Like at the end of the day, right? If you're a high school athlete and you've got a big following, right? Cause so many it's social media is omnipresent, right? If you have a big following, like that's an opportunity for any company to promote their good or service. And I think that it's, it's, it is long overdue in the sense that like, Hey, listen, should athletes be paid by the schools? We can debate that all day long. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but they should not, Athletes should not be, in my personal opinion, right? Like this is not a professional opinion. Personally, my opinion is if if you're if you're an 18 year old kid and you're not an athlete in college, you can go start a business and no one's going to tell you to do it otherwise. So why shouldn't you be able to do that as an athlete? It's overly restrictive and it's not fair, frankly. And you know, it's 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 a huge opportunity for so many young people to not only earn a living and there's, I'm sure there's unintended consequences to it. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. And I don't want to go down that road, no. but at the end of the day, they're learning to your point, they're learning how to become entrepreneurs, how to become business owners, how to build their own brand. And like, 
that's not something that when I was in college 25 mm-hmm. years ago, like that was even, that wasn't even like a twinkle in anybody's eye. And so like, we've come so far and why stifle the opportunity? Exactly. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, it's long overdue. I mean, yeah. I honestly, I, I mean, it wouldn't have really benefited me in college that much. I don't know. Maybe it would have, but I mean, you look at Manziel, like Johnny Manziel, Reggie Bush, Vince mm-hmm. Young, like these guys, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, or Terrell Pryor. I mean, he lost everything. Reggie Bush lost everything because they use their name, image, and likeness. I mean, yep. Zion Williamson. I mean, yeah, we don't want to go down unintended consequences. <laughs> but I mean, there's going to be kids in college making millions of dollars. Yep. Like, that's life-changing. If they can learn how to use it right, and that's why the education is a piece of it. Yes. Um, and making sure they have the right people in their circle because there are going to be like vultures that come in and say, hey, there's this kid. Let me, let's me let get a piece of the pie. Yes. Um, there's going to be you know kids that make $5 million, but then they don't go pro. And now they're like, okay, what do I do? I was talking about losing your identity earlier. I was not just a college athlete, a top college athlete. I was also making way more money than I'll probably ever make in my life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, overall, it's all good. I'd say 99% of it's good. Yeah. And that, and that's the reason why but and that's the reason why I wanted to talk about it here in this space because I think there is an education there's mm-hmm. a there's a learning curve for parents. Right? Now it's undeniably a part of the equation, right? Especially if your kid plays in a rev- revenue generating sport of football mm-hmm. or basketball, right? They're getting recruited and now there's this whole other element of okay, we know that they can use name image and likeness, like how is that going to affect my child? Right? for the good and mm-hmm. maybe for the not so good, but we need to understand it because we're still responsible for these young people. Yeah. I mean, where it throws a big loop is to begin with, most people don't even understand college recruiting and I'm talking more specifically parents in general. So now you throw NIL in and now they're trying to worry about NIL, but like, okay, you got to learn college recruiting first. Cause if you're not even good enough, you're really not going to maximize on maximize yep. on it. It's fair. Um, but at the same point, at the same time, they, I mean, they tie together. And my thing is, like, if you're if you're a high school athlete, like, you don't have to be crazy, but you know, start a social media, just post post you playing, mm-hmm. um, read up on it a little bit, just get a get a feel for it, understand it, and then, uh, but worry more about getting recruited, and it will it will it will work out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, the education mm-hmm. is a piece. But to be honest, I mean, it's kind of an impossible hurdle because recruiting's never been figured out. So now I add this on. It's just like, if you want to learn about NIL and you want, like, you'll learn, but it's right. going to be too hard because it's not, it'd have to be taught in the schools. Yeah. Is what I'm, is what I'm I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I have, I, it's almost like, it's like almost like the master class in recruiting, right? NIL is like sort of like, you know, recruiting 301, whereas recruiting one-on-one hasn't even been passed yet. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am by no means an expert in recruiting. I've learned a ton by virtue of working in a high school for a couple of years and then ultimately working with high school athletes. I'm learning about recruiting and I can promise you that parents do not understand it no. very well at no. all. And it, it is a crapshoot, right? And how do we do it? What do we do? How we make it efficient? Right. And so I'll go back to what you're doing at air, which is you're creating an efficient marketplace for, for buyers and sellers, you know, if you want to put it yeah. that way. Right. And so you could see like, what is the school offering? Like, what, are, what do we have to offer? Like, what's a good match versus like, oh, I think I want to be at school ABC, but there's nothing about school ABC that's 
remotely interesting except for maybe like I know they're a good academic school, but then you have to go live there for four years mm-hmm. and, and you don't know anything about it. So why are you going there? Right. So I, I think being able to educate yeah. on the recruiting process is like the first step. Yeah. To your point there, kind of about air and what we're trying to do and facilitating that is we do believe it's going to be bigger internationally mm-hmm. um, because those kids will do anything to get over here and play. It's just the reality of the situation. Um, especially like even in Asia, the Asia market, like I would love to come play basketball and they value education. So they'll upload all their film. They'll do exactly what you need to do on the platform to increase your chances. Where in America, it's just kind of, you know, we, we have this kind of stale, you know, and that's why I talk about reading books and where it's like, ah, I'll get recruited maybe then go upload your grades, go, you know, Mm -hmm. fill out the, we're giving you something to help you. Mm -hmm. So but that's the point of like facilitating it all. When I went through it, we I had no clue what I was doing and I made mistakes. But I mean, you have to go turn in your transcript. You have to do this. So if we have the app that has everything and it kind of like shows you and then there's people connected, your parents, that recruiting service that can help you. And you're like, hey, you should put this here. We'll make it easier for mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. And which will make better decisions. Everyone will make better decisions. So that's that's the goal. Um, yeah. Make it easier, faster, more efficient. Yeah. Um, that's, it's, it's a process cause it's a broken system and people don't know what's going on, but yeah, we'll get there. But, 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 but what you've highlighted too, is there's a motivation, right? The motivation for international athletes who want to get to the U S is much, much greater because there, there's a desire, there's a desperation in some, in some respects, and they're willing to do the work and, and put in the time and effort. I, I think there is a misconception in, I mean, in the U S about, Hey, they'll find me. I personally, I do not believe that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Will they find you if you are like the top 001% five-star football recruit? Yeah, sure. Football. But if you're a great player in a a secondary sport that doesn't generate revenue, you may not get found. And there's there's definitely this idea that, oh yeah, they're going to come get me. And I'm like, no. And even if they do find you, is that where you want to be? Where do you want to be? Like, what's important to you? And I think a lot of people don't think about what they value and like prioritize and say like, this is what I want. And I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go sell myself, right? Because if you're in sales, which I know you are at some level and I am too, Mm -hmm. like I can take on any client, right? I'll take the client, but it's not a fit for me. I want to be with these people because they fit my model and I'm going to go find them, right? Whereas I think people don't have that mentality because they don't like they don't want to do the work or they don't want to get rejected. Yep. Right. All those things. And it's instant gratification too. Like, yep. Hey, I want that offer. I want to post it. But yep. are you willing to post every day for six months? Are you willing to no go on air and reach out to all the coaches? Are you willing to swipe left or right? Like, are you willing to put in the work? And that's kind of what mm-hmm. we built is the market is the market. And that's why we're a platform, not a service. Yes. Of like, if you put in the work and you do your thing, like obviously in the classroom, on the field court, whatever. Um, and then on our app, you'll be found by coaches. They'll find you. But yeah. if you don't, it's like a job resume. If you don't fill it out and you don't get a letter of recommendation, you're probably not going to get the job. If you, It's the same thing with our app. If you yeah. give it right. everything you have, full effort, um, it'll be easier. Um, yeah. And there's, yeah, 
So that's yep. that's the basis around. What, what do they What do they say? Garbage in, garbage out. Right. You exactly. got to put you put what you get what you put in. Right. And so, just a couple more questions, and mm-hmm. and this one's going to be a little bit self indulgent and self serving, but I'm 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 curious personally. You talked about going after your series Series A funding. Are you like how involved are you in in that side of things in terms of securing investors? Are you involved? Yeah, I'm involved to some level. Um, okay. I wasn't really in the seed, and we're not going to go do that here for a little bit. But a lot of it is like kind of, you know, setting up the connections and the relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, like we mentioned earlier, planting the seeds, bringing it all back to the ecosystem of saying, yeah. hey, OK, we can bring you this, um, you know, but we would love <laughs> we would love your money or, you know, right? what I mean, like it's we would love your faith um, in us and your resources. Uh, and that's ultimately like I've learned. Um, I, I think there's no better way to, to go into business how I've gone in in our company and we're all young guys. So we're learning which can be scary, but I think we're learning fast or we're going to be fine. But it's like, Hey, I mean, and I've known this, it's all relationships, networking. Mm. And it's like, I mean, we say, Hey, play chess, not checkers. Um, so (laughs) it's funny just when you, when you see stuff go on in big companies or you something, something's going on, you know, there's connections, you know, there's a piece and we've, and I've learned that from, um, from obviously what we're doing here. Yeah. But uh yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I would think too, like finding the right investor or investors is mm-hmm. critical, right? To understand. I mean, listen, at some level you're a technology company, right? But just finding a tech investor who doesn't really understand the space is not gonna it's gonna be it's yeah. not gonna be as productive as finding people who really understand the space, not only from kind of an operational standpoint, but also understanding they have a network out there to, to get eyeballs onto what you're doing. And, uh, I mean, that's, to me, it's fun. I've always been in business. I've worked with startups for part of my career and, uh, I'm just fascinated by like, when is the right time to go out and get that funding? Who, who are the funders going to be like, how much equity do we give up for the prospect Mm -hmm. of growing this business? It's, it's really fascinating. And I just, I think it's really cool. Something, something I think is really fascinating not to cut you off there. But now, I mean, you can even sell, you can basically loan your data and not give up any equity in companies. Tell me more. It's crazy. So, I mean, part of it is we own a lot of data, obviously. We own, you know, who these, you know, who these athletes are, what they like, um, obviously for everyone involved. Um, And you can leverage that data to Mm. get capital, um, which all of us were blown away and no one's really done it. And it's like Apple, Google, Amazon own 96% or something crazy of this. So we're all fighting over this little 4%, which is a lot though, um, which is crazy to think about. But uh, not to go completely off topic, but Web3, not sure if you're familiar with it. No, It's going to transform the game. Um, and, and obviously blockchains, NFTs. Yes, I'm starting. I try to, like I said, I'm, I have habits and I try to build stuff. Um, part of my like one hour a day is like studying this stuff and trying to learn it. And I, and it's, it's uh blockchain and web three is going to be crazy because web two is like the companies and data owns you, but web three is going to be more like we own, we own everything like personally. And that's why, yeah, I mean, it's going to take some time to develop and it, it's a hard concept to grasp. I see your wheels. Like they are turning bit. and I'm thinking about how I'm going to learn about this because I'm curious now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously as a company, we're thinking about that as well because this would shift our 
you know, if our goal was initially to own data, but it's going to shift a little to web three, how do we, you know, handle mm-hmm. that? So I think it's all, everything we do is we think in the future and that's how I've always thought. And, uh, you know, always try to think big because everyone else thinks small. Mm-hmm. So if you think big, it's your greatest advantage. But, uh, yeah, um, I had something else to say, but I got off topic about web three because it's crazy fascinating. The tech yeah. that's going to happen in our lives. Yeah. So as uh, to wrap up, I'll, I'll ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. So if there's one thing, one thing that you'd want the listeners, whether it's a high school athlete or their parents or both, one thing you'd want them to know, what would be your, what would be your takeaway or leave behind? Yeah. So where, like, do you want me to go more towards like the athletic side and stuff? Or do you want me just like more personally on that one? Um, uh, I whatever, can whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, the one, first what, thing, what's the one thing that jumps into your head? Well, the first thing that jumps into my head is obviously I just said, think big, um, think big. Everyone thinks small. That's, that's the biggest problem I see in everything these days. And also do your research. Don't listen to everything. Like you, you, everyone takes step, stuff at face value. You got to like, really, you got to research it. You got to understand stuff, thinking in the future, think big and everything will work out better. My thing has always been, you know, you reach to get, you know, I reach to get, you reach to get something bigger. And if you fall a little short, you'll still be way ahead Yep. Um, from where you are. Um, and so I would say that relating to athletics and kind of what we've been talking about is for your kid and, mm-hmm. and yourself or parents, kids, you know, think big, think you can go play it. You know, I wanted to play for pit basketball really bad. I, I grew up, went to all their games. It's a power five school. Mm-hmm. Really wanted to. I fell a little short, but once I learned what, so then that's the next point is like, learn where you're at, understand that, find people that can help you, but also don't listen. Cause I had people tell me I was D3 or D2. And I said, no, 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 I'm D1. I'm definitely mid-major. I can definitely play at a high academic school. Got that. But I was really shooting for pit and I got, so I would say like, think big uh, yeah. in everything. Yeah. Um, there's just too many people that think small. I mean, I know you, I know, Mike, I, I know you're thinking big over there. So I'm trying, so, I'm trying, yeah. but I, I, I do. I love that because I think at the end of the day, right, you have to, and I encourage my athletes, you know, that I work with when we talk about that process of like, what do I want to be? Like, don't sell yourself short because you never know who's on the other end, right? Meaning you may think that you're not qualified to play division one because somebody else told you, well, Get it from the horse's mouth. You don't know what they're looking mm-hmm. for. Now, they might tell you, no, you're not qualified, but you're not going to know until you know. So go go, go get it and get the information. And rather than being scared of what you're going to hear, be like, hey, I want to hear it so then I know what to do differently, which is basically what you just described, right? Find yep. out, figure out what I need to do and keep doing it so I get to where I want to go versus like, hey, I'm afraid. Yeah. And the last thing I'll kind of add is like okay. based on the research and thinking big, don't just follow the status quo. I've seen that with countless of my friends and they're unhappy. And and I'm not saying like some of them have great jobs and they probably make a lot more money than I do right now, but I'm, but it's because I'm actually, but I'm happy. I like what I'm doing every day. Mm-hmm. I'm building something. And I know to the next point of long-term think like long-term thinking, not mm-hmm. short-term, like delayed gratification always huge for me. And it's yep. hard. Like I said, we talk about these things. I talk about these things like I do it. I mean, I struggle very with it hard. just as much as you do and just as yep. much as anyone listening sure. probably does. Of course. But if you get that mindset, I mean, 
you'll still you'll still get over it. Um, so yeah, think big, think long term. Don't follow the status quo. Do what you want to do, and and you'll be in a in a good spot. Um, even even one day one day ahead to one year to ten years, and you'll look back and you'll be like, yeah, when I was eighteen years old, going to Boston University to play Division One basketball, thinking I'm everything. I sit here now and go, yeah, I had no clue, but I'm a lot farther ahead now, and yeah. I, I feel like I'll say the same in a couple of years. It's an awesome way to end. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. I really appreciate it. I uh, hope we can keep talking. Yeah, I love it, Mike. We'll have to run it back one of these times. I, <laughs> could, I could talk all day. I like this stuff. I got to get back to building, but at the same time, me, I Me too. I need yeah, yeah we're, we're dangerous together because this oh. is probably the longest This is probably the longest podcast I've had, and I can keep going, but I'm going to sp- yeah, we'll yeah. spare them. Let's do a part two because I feel like there's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff. Listen, if I get to a, the point where I'm having guests on again, then my podcast is doing okay too. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's the other thing. I wanna, I've always been, hey – People that are doing big things, like they're never worried about, you know, they're always supportive. They're never going to hate on someone else doing big things. So I love what you're doing and I know, and you reciprocate it back to me and I do that to other people. So that's the other thing. Like, and we'll touch on this in the next one, but (laughs) when people, when people are hating and saying stuff, it's because they're not doing anything or they're jealous. That's right. Totally agree. Love it, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Take care, man. So. What was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Andrew Petcash? For me, it was that age is not a barrier to professional success. Andrew just recently graduated from college. Nevertheless, he has seamlessly transitioned to an entrepreneurial life after college sport. Andrew has applied the same passion, effort, and energy to his business ventures that he applied on the basketball court. The sky's the limit for Andrew, who is just in his early 20s. My suggestion to young athletes is to apply the same drive and intensity that you had as a college athlete to whatever professional endeavor that you pursue. Your experiences as the consummate risk taker will be extremely valuable in the business world. I want to thank Andrew for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Petcash and Instagram at College Athlete Insight. You can learn more about the Freshman Foundation on our website at freshmanfoundation.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 26. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.